Welcome to the podcast, Fibromyalgia Real Solutions with Amanda Love. My name's Amanda Lise Love, and I'm a registered holistic nutritionist who works with those with fibromyalgia. And today's guest is Jessica. Welcome to the show. Fun to be here. I'm so glad. I'm so excited. I've been waiting for this interview. So tell me, let's start a little bit with your story. Yeah, so I am also, so I'm a registered holistic nutrition consultant is the term that we use in Alberta. Um, so that's the title that I go by is an RHNC. Uh, I have, I did a lot of schooling. Um, so I have a degree in health science from Brock University. I have a degree in nutrition and dietetic sciences from Western University. And then I did my Canadian school of natural nutrition. Um, And I got really into health and nutrition and everything wellness because I was diagnosed with MS at 15. And at 15, I was told, congrats, you have a chronic health condition. And for the next 80 years, you're going to have to live with this and learn how to cope and kind of manage it. And I ignored it for about the first three years. I think like everyone kind of goes through their own period of coming to terms with it. Uh, and then if you add being a teenager on top of that, I was just like, nah, I'm not going to do anything about it. And then when I was in school, I started doing my health science degree and I started really just realizing how much what you put into your body really does matter. Like your bodies aren't just things that can take like Cheetos and ice cream and like sugar and right. like a whole bunch of bad food for you and then expect you to like have them work perfectly. So that's kind of where I, where I started off and my, my own health journey in a way prepared me to kind of help others with through theirs. That's such a young age. Did you even know what it was? Uh, so when I was first diagnosed, I woke up one morning uh, and my left eye had literally, it had frozen in place. So it wasn't like, oh, you had blurred vision. Like my eye had actually stopped moving. Um, and I, I hid it from my parents. My dad was off like dragon boating that day. It was a weekend. It was a Saturday morning. And my mom was just working on the house. And I spent most of my time like watching TV and kind of hiding. And I didn't want to deal with it. And I figured it'll just go away. And I think I made it to dinner. And then my mom looked at me and she's like, cool, we're going to the hospital. Uh, and so we went to the hospital and I had a doctor told me that I had a lazy eye. And I, if I went home, I would sleep it off and it would fix itself. And then if it hadn't fixed itself come Monday um, to go to the eye doctor. And on Monday it had not fixed itself. So I went to the eye doctor and the eye doctor was very sketchy and like shaking. And as he observed, and the whole time he just go, Oh no, Oh no, no, no. And then he looked me in the eye and told me I had a brain tumor. Uh, and obviously he called my, he called my family doctor and my family doctor was telling my mom, like, look, no one can diagnose a brain tumor just by looking at someone. We're going to get her in for scans. We're going to figure this out. And so within about uh, two days, I had had an MRI and the MRI, the doctor said, they're thinking it's, they told my parents, they're thinking it's MS. Um, and I, they ended up arranging for me to go to Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto. Uh, and in April of 2007, the Sick Kids Hospital people said, based on your, your scans, we're pretty sure it's MS, um, but because it's a multiple disease like you can't just have one thing go wrong and be diagnosed they said we'll have you come back in three months do a brain scan and see if anything had progressed and then I feel like at that point my doctor was really great she's like if you have questions you can call us like well we're with you the whole way um which is really great because the other alternative was like Dr. Google and there wasn't even really Dr. Google at the time so I think that saved me Mm -hmm. like 
all of the information that I had came from my doctor who at the time was giving us pamphlets. Uh, but because there was no Dr. Google back in 2007, that's really all I knew about it. I had never met another person. No one in my family had ever been sick. And then I went in in August and they said it is, it's progressed. So uh, you now have MS. It's, we're confident in giving you the diagnosis and we're going to get you started on treatment. And so from that point on, I was reading like packets about what medications I should take and how I should kind of proceed. And it was definitely a very steep learning curve because I don't know if anybody can remember what it was like to try and learn stuff before Google, but it's a lot harder. <laughs> did it, so did you have, it sounds like you had a great doctor supporting you. I had the best doctor in the world. Her name is Dr. Brenda Banwell, and she was just amazing. Uh, I was very, I think one of the saddest days in my MS life was the day that I kind of graduated from sick kids and they're like, cool, you get to go to a grown-up hospital now. And I was like, but I don't want to leave her because she was actually, she was amazing. And um, I was lucky I got to go to MS summer camp, which is a lot more fun than it sounds. Um, but Dr. Brenda Banwell at camp was like a hero because 80% oh. of the kids who went to that camp or like we're all diagnosed by Dr. Banwell because she was at Toronto Sick Kids, which is one of the biggest children's hospital in Canada. So everybody loves her. She's an amazing doctor. It, how many people like do kids get diagnosed with MS? How many do you know? Yeah, I don't know what it is now. At the time that I was diagnosed, there's only like 2% of people were diagnosed before their 18th birthday. So I have a feeling that that number has gone up since I was diagnosed just because they're now, it's been almost 15 years. It's been 14 and a half years since I was diagnosed. Um, so they're now aware and they're looking at for it more in kind of teenagers and stuff. The youngest I've heard of is seven. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine. He was diagnosed at age seven and the youngest kid who went to camp was seven. Uh, so it does happen. It's just, it is a lot more rare. Most people are diagnosed with MS between the ages of like 20 and 40. Oh, but that's still really young. Yeah. It is, uh, that's the, the nature of the beast is, uh, MS always hits you kind of when you're younger and in the prime of life. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So like, what, like, like, do you have to deal with it with MS? So now I don't have any symptoms. Uh, I was really lucky. So in 2019, I underwent a full stem cell transplant, uh -huh. uh, which was uh, a journey in itself. So in 2019, I had a full stem cell transplant. For me, that was the fifth treatment that I have tried. So since my diagnosis, I've been I've tried a medication called beta serin. I've tried a medication called Tysabri, Jelenia, and then Lemtrada. And unfortunately for me, uh, I failed off all of them. So failing off a medication means that I was still having active disease progression. And for me, that meant um, I have lesions on my spine at the T8 and T10 vertebrae. So I would have issues with my walking. I'd have issues with my balance. Um, I used to have a really pimpin' purple cane that was like hand painted with flowers because I would have to use a cane. I would have weakness and like major balance issues. And I still do have some balance issues. Like my balance issues didn't magically go away when I had my stem cell transplant. Uh, I lost sensation and feeling from like my spine, midway down my spine. 
So I couldn't tell my example is always like if people are having a bubble bath and you run the water and then you put your foot in first to see how hot it is. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that feels fine. And then I'd sit in the water and be like, this is like lava. This is not good. I'm probably burning my skin because um, I just couldn't tell the temperature that well. Uh, I couldn't feel uh, certain touch it like vibrations and stuff. So there's a, a test that they do with like a tuning fork and can you feel the vibrations and I couldn't feel the vibrations. Uh, and I've had my vision go gray on my left side twice. So those were my main symptoms. So there's a lot of balance, a lot of having to use a cane. And then as well, whenever I would get overheated, because uh, for a lot of people, heat exasperates their MS symptoms. So whenever I would get overheated, I would completely lose feeling in my lower body. So as someone who runs half marathons and I was doing like the MS bike, I would be running and like halfway through, I'd just stop being able to stop feeling my legs. And so I'd be like, cool. And I'd keep running. But when I cross the finish line, I'm like, I need my cane now. Like I can't actively recover. I couldn't catch myself. And when I fell, when I did the MS bike, I biked for three and a half hours and I got so hot that when I crossed the finish line of the bike, I had to signal to my sister, like, you need to hold the bike. And then my parents had to help me unclip my legs. And then I went and lay in a, basically a field of ice <laughs> until my body temperature came back to normal. And I could feel my legs again, but you would lose. Yeah. I would lose sensation in my lower body. Wow. And you told me in a previous conversation that didn't you like the doctor said, Oh, you're not going to run again. Yeah. So when I started having issues with my legs, my uh, doctor told me I was, I, I remember crying with my doctor and I said, I'm, I can't run anymore. Like, and he told me basically to get over it. And his issue was to make sure that I could still walk. Um, and then during one of my, uh, so I had a treatment when I was in, it was in 2016, I did a, a Lemtrada, which is like an infusion treatment. And part of my luck is whenever like something's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong with me. And so when I did my Lemtrada infusion, which wipes out your immune system, I just happened to be exposed to Legionnaire's disease. Um, which developed into necrotizing pneumonia. So I ended up in the hospital with like maybe 10% left of my lungs for use. Like they were completely filled with this really bad necrotizing pneumonia. Um, and I was in the ICU and I was on a lot of morphine. I don't actually remember the first five days, though I'm told I was quite hilarious. Uh, and when I when they transferred me from the ICU to like not critical care, just like the general ward, I was still alone because my immune system was so compromised, which is nice. I had a private room. Uh, and the doctor walked in and they said, well, I'm supposed to run a half marathon in three months. So like, what do we need to do to get me to run the half marathon? And he just looked me in the eye and he's like, you got to basically, he's like, you've been in the ICU for so long. Like you've been in, you're not walking, you've lost muscle mass. Like I had, I lost 15 pounds in like 10 days kind of thing. Like I just, wow. it was, it was quite <sighs> funny. He's like, you should try walking first and maybe cancel your race. Um, and I'm proud to say that I walked into the doctor's office three months and two weeks later with my finisher's medal for my first ever half marathon and I was like suck it I did it and I walked out <laughs> and they were pretty shocked but I, I did run my first half marathon after that one wow that's amazing so you're pretty much you, anything <laughs> yeah your your story's crazy um did you so is it why you got into nutrition is because you thought it would help with the MS yeah. So I started, um, when I first started out, I was doing health science and I had this big dream of being a neurologist and I was going to be a pediatric neurologist, like my hero, Dr. Brenda Banwell. Um, 
And then along the route, I really, I started taking nutrition courses. Um, and what really amu- uh, like amazed me was doctors don't have to take nutrition. Like doctors don't take nutrition. They don't, they, they literally do like an hour or two lecture on it. And that's pretty much all they know about nutrition. And so when I started taking all these nutrition courses and I started like, there's literally like eight different diets for MS out there and they all contradict each other. So I started doing reading as much as I possibly could so that I could basically come up with my own plan to treat my MS with food and nutrition. And when I was in university, so in my third year of university, I had, that was the first year that I had my relapse where I needed um, my cane. And so I had a relapse and I lost kind of like the strength and the weakness and my legs were really being affected in my third year of university. Um, oh, sorry, that was my, fir- my first year of university. So my first year of university. And then in my third year of university, I had the same relapse. But at that point, I was working out all the time and I was really watching what I ate. And my recovery time went from like six months to like three weeks. Wow, and that's a drastic. Yeah, I was just like, Wow. So then I started looking at all these things that I could do. And my, my philosophy has always has basically became, and it still is now to this day, um, MS is going to throw you every single kind of curveball. There's literally, if you have MS or if you have a chronic condition, there's nothing you can do to predict when things are going to go wrong. Like there's nothing I knew all for right. me personally, like I had all of my relapses in the month of August, but like, other than that, there was nothing that I could do to predict when things were going to go poorly. And so I started really looking into it and treating it as like the idea of, I want to make my body as strong as physically possible, despite having MS. So I want to run the marathons. I want to eat healthy. I want to do as much as I physically can so that when things go wrong, I just, I have a better base. And it's kind of like, I've told, I tell people, cause I have, I work with clients who don't necessarily have MS. They're, they're just kind of Joe Blow and they don't have any chronic health conditions. Um, But my train of thought uh, was that you could be hit by a bus. Like you might not have MS, but you could hit, my boyfriend's always like, we could be hit by a bus tomorrow. Um, Or you could have to go for surgery or like you broke a leg. Your, Your chances of recovering are better if you're physically have a strong base and if you're healthy to begin with. And so then I just went down the nutrition rabbit hole and it took me another six years of school. Um, but I studied basically everything I could get my hands on. Yeah. And I think it, I think if we don't start with like taking care of ourselves, then no one else is going to do it for us. You only have one body. So you got to take care of that body. Yeah. So what did that Even with my, like my stem cell transplant, I had a stem cell transplant that involved, I had 11 rounds of chemotherapy in eight days. Um, like that, nothing in my life has knocked me on my ass more. So I had 11 rounds of chemotherapy in eight days. Um, and then they give you like your 800 million stem cells back. And so they gave me my stem cells back and I was back in the gym boxing three weeks later. And, and they told my doctor had said, he's just like, you should be prepared to be sick for like, feel sick for like six months after. And I will admit the boxing didn't feel great. It wasn't like, man, I could go get in the ring and like fight someone right now. Um, I was just doing boxing workouts and hitting a heavy bag. And when I started going back to class, I did like every other song, but I was still back in the gym within three weeks of my stem cell transplant. Oh, that's crazy. Did you, did people like tell you that you're inspiring? Cause you really are. 
Um, I've, I've heard that. I've had a lot of people also tell me I'm nuts because they're like, you had a stem cell transplant. Like, why wouldn't you just lie in bed for three weeks? And I said, well, I was going nuts. So I made my board for that. I was bored and I was like bald and (laughs) I was, it was too hot. And I was like, I want to go to the gym where it's air conditioned. And I was like, I don't care if I'm only hitting every other bet and song, I'll do it. I don't care if I have to leave early, I'll do it. I just want to do something. And so I did, I started really slow, but once it's basically once they took the line out of my chest and I was allowed back in the boxing gym, I went back. Wow. So do you recommend your clients start slow too? Yeah. So my biggest thing for me, um, like I said, there with MS, there's legitimately so many different diets out there. There's like the walls protocol, which is very heavy on like meat and like no grains. So it's like meat and veggies. There's no grains. There's no lentils. Uh, or like there's no, yeah, there's no grains. There's no lentils. Like you're not allowed legumes. There's no eggs. It's a pretty restrictive diet. Um, and that worked really well for Terry Walls. And I'm like, good for you. Like it's a fantastic diet. It's, it's based on yeah. like whole foods and like that kind of stuff. Um, but I am plant-based. So I follow a diet that is, and I would say vegan, except I, I don't use the term vegan anymore because a lot of people are very strict on what is included in a vegan diet. And my example is honey. Like honey is not included in a vegan diet. Um, and I still eat honey because my family has hives. So we eat like our own locally honey. We don't support the honey industry, but like, so I use plant-based and so like 95% of my diet is vegan. Um, and that's just kind of what works for me. And when I talk with clients, I'm not saying like, Hey, you should go from eating a steak every night to being 100% plant-based. Uh, I always, I work with them and say, okay, like what is the one food that you couldn't give up? Like for me, it's cake. I love cake. I'm going to eat cake. (laughs) Um, I make health. I I try to make my own cake and like make it healthier and I'll do plant-based versions and like I do all this stuff, but I I still love cake. And so I'm going to have a cupcake if I want a cupcake. Um, So I always tell people like, you don't need to cut out everything. Um, There's ways to make it healthier. And then I say, if your goal is to go a little bit plant-based, then let's just start with two days. Um, And like, let's cut out your steak and give you kind of like a stir fry and we'll like, we can change it and make it. So it's, a, it's a, it's an easier transition. I don't, I think if everybody kind of tries to do the 180 right real quick, uh, you will fail. <laughs> That's just in my experience. Like I've heard, I think I, I've never really heard of anybody who has like done a complete 180 and stuck with it for a long term. So with all my clients, I do full meal plans. I do like check-in calls and then we just, we kind of do it. Like, what is our goal for this week? okay, we'll do that for a week or two. Now that we've tackled drinking water, what's our next goal? Right. Um, and but kind I- of just chipping away at it piece by piece. Because I can tell you, like I have literally, I've tried every MS diet that was out there. Um, I did try the Terry Walls protocol while I was in university and I went full gusto for it. And the third level includes eating organ meat. So I cooked a cow heart. Um, wow. And I went for, I couldn't eat, I didn't eat the cow heart. <laughs> I was just like, ah, this, nope. So I fed it to my roommates and I uh, didn't tell him what it was, but <laughs> I was just like, it's, it's beef. And he was like, great, free food. And so I was just like, well, it's actually a cow heart. He's like, cool, I'm still eating it. Uh, and I never, for me, I, I felt like kind of almost like a failure because I had tried this third level that was supposed to be like the be all to end all for my MS. And I couldn't get over the mental block. And I was like, I can't eat organ meat. So luckily it didn't go to waste because my roommate was like down to eat it. And so he ate it. Um, But I was like, that 
is not sustainable and it's not for me. And so I did go back to the vegetarian diet and then I did, it wasn't like I decided to go full vegan right away. I went vegetarian for a couple of years and then I cut out eggs and, or I cut out, I cut out Greek yogurt first and then eggs were the last thing to go. Cause I've always loved eggs. And then I, I did read more about the egg industry. And so I was like, okay, cool. No, I'm done with eggs. <laughs> I've been off of eggs for like 10 years. Yeah. So once I, once I kind of hit there, but I didn't go like from doing the Terry Walls protocol and trying to attempting to eat like all the meat to going full vegan. Like it was a very gradual, like it took years and years. Um, and now I, I felt the healthiest, my doc, even my neurologist, it was really nice for my, when I went for my checkup after my stem cell transplant, my neurologist even said, he's like, I wish more people would go plant-based like you because it would make a difference. And I use the term plant-based because if your diet is more than 50% plant-based, like then you're plant-based. So you can still eat a steak and be plant-based. <laughs> I don't suggest people eat steak, but there is different levels. And so it was, it's a very gradual transition. Yeah. It sounds like you went gradual and you cut out the Greek yogurt first. And then yeah. see, I had, I, mean, I had food sensitivity, so I had to cut the gluten, the soy, the eggs, dairy, all at once. Yeah. So I was very lucky. Like I, I had started doing food sensitivities because of the MS and like, yeah. for me, I went, I went strict vegetarian. Like, uh, I went vegetarian for the ethical reasons. Like I believe animals are cognizant animals and if I'm not going to eat my dog. I'm not going to eat a cow. Um, my family, my uncle has a cow named George and he literally comes when called like a dog. So after seeing George, it's like, cool, I can't eat steak anymore. Um, and then I slowly started cutting stuff out to make the transition to vegan. Um, but it was definitely not overnight. It took years. <laughs> it was a very slow transition. Well, did you, did you find out if you had any food sensitivities? Um, I did back when I was, so I started seeing, uh, as another way to treat my MS, I started seeing like a naturopath. Um, oh, yeah. And he started talking about like food sensitivities. Uh, dairy is something everyone in my family is pretty sensitive to, but at the time I was like ice cream. So I'm going to keep eating it. Um, <laughs> and so I do feel better that I have let out dairy. Uh, I did the gluten-free thing for a while cause he did recommend it. Um, I did, I will be honest. I went back to eating gluten right around the time I had stem cell. Cause I was like, if I'm going through chemo. I want real cake. Um, <laughs> and oh, cause the allergy version's not good. Yeah. So it was like, I don't have a strong gluten allergy for me when they recommended I went gluten-free, it was more for like the inflammation aspect with MS. Right. So, uh, my only, my only food sensitivity has ever been a little bit of dairy, but it wasn't bad. Like I've never really had severe food sensitivities. Um, everything I've done was more so an anti-inflammatory diet for my MS. And is, is that what you usually recommend to your clients? Uh, for my clients, it just depends on the client. So most right. of the people who come to me are wanting to learn more about plant-based living and kind of how to incorporate it. Um, and I do different levels. So there's people who I'm like, this is how you kind of go full vegan. And this is how you can do the full vegan thing. Um, my parents are what I call our flexitarians. So my parents eat vegetarian or um, plant-based five days a week. And once or twice a week, they'll have meat. Um, normally about two days a week, they'll have me and I'm never going to like stop talking to my parents because they eat meat. That's not my philosophy. Um, I look at it as saying, well, they're making that switch 
So five days a week is better than no days a week and they have a healthier diet for it. So it just depends on my client. Um, I have worked with people who have food sensitivities and then I teach them how to cook all these yeah. amazing foods without using those, like with using like gluten-free flours and different um, flours or like dairy alternatives. Like today I'm making homemade bagels with uh, vegan yogurt. Uh, but it, it really depends on the client, um, how I approach it and kind of what their goals are. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Do you find people come to you with MS? Um, I've had a lot of people reach out to me talking about the MS aspect. Um, and I try to be really honest with them. I've had people reach out to me and say like, oh, I really wanted to try the Terry Walls protocol, um, which again is a great protocol. Like it worked yeah. really, really well for like Terry Walls pretty much reversed a lot of her disease progression with the Terry Walls protocol. But they're like, if you go online to take the Terry Walls protocol course, um, at the end, right before you go to pay for it, it says, just so you know, if you're vegetarian or vegan, this diet won't work for you. Um, and for a lot of people with MS, they've heard Terry Walls is like the MS diet and it's so great. Um, yeah. And then they go through all of that and they're like, well, I don't want to eat animals. <laughs> like, I don't want to. Right. Because I'm a vegan for ethical reasons and not just for my health, like I'm, I'm a vegan or plant-based for the animals because I care, but like, I can't make that switch and start eating animals again. And I talk to them and I just say, like, it's not the only way. So there are, there are other MS diets who emphasize like the importance of like legumes and vegetables and whole grains. Right. Um, so there's different ways to do it. So I do talk to a lot of people about kind of their MS journey. And it's hard to believe I've been on my MS journey for 15 years now, but I'm what they call the MS veteran. <laughs> and you're, and you're young still. <laughs> I'm 29. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I celebrate my 30th birthday next year and I'm going to celebrate by running, hopefully fingers crossed my first and last full marathon. I figure I'll only do it once to say I did it and then go back to some more reasonable distances. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. You're... So do you, you told me in a previous conversation, don't you work for like a nonprofit? I do. I actually work full-time yeah. for the MS Society. Um, so I work full-time for the MS Society, not in nutrition. I run a program um, called the Peer Support Program where I match people like myself who are like at a point in their journey where they can talk about it and support other people and I match them with people who are either at a point in their journey where they're struggling or they're at a point in their journey where they are newly diagnosed mm -hmm. and it's just one of the it's a really great program it is for Canada only so it's for Canadians I've worked for the Canadian MS Society um but it is just a really great program and I'm really really proud of it and so that is my full-time job and then I do all my nutrition and my client stuff on the side that's awesome how did you get involved in that? Um, so when I graduated my second degree of university, um, I wanted to start working because I had eight years of like student debt to pay off. <laughs> and so I, uh, the MS Society had given me so much. Like I went to MS camp for seven years and wow. I really credit the MS camp, Society and the MS camp that they fund or funded. It's not running anymore. I credited them for making me so comfortable with my MS. Like they really kind of helped me through my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so then when I graduated university and I was kind of like, I don't know what I want to do. 
Um, and I was just looking on the MS Society website one day and there was a position that had opened up in my city. And so I applied and at the time it was in fundraising. And then I actually, through the MS Society, I did a job transfer, which is what made me move out West to Calgary. And then I did the transfer um, when I wanted to start kind of leave the fundraising aspect and move more to like the programs and services. And I just, I really enjoy working for the MS Society because one, if you have MS, like there's really not a better employer who's gonna understand. Like I had to take almost three months off for my stem cell transplant. And it was, they were very accommodating. They like were there the whole way. They helped me. They were checking in on me during my stem cell transplant. Like my boss, who I've known for years, she'd be like, like, how are you doing? Are you okay? Like, let us know if you have to come back later. Like they were really good about it. And so I'm like, it's been 15 years and it's a way for me to share what I've learned and really help people, but also to give back to an organization that I really credit with getting me through my diagnosis. That sounds amazing. They are amazing. They're really nice to work for. Yeah. It sounds like in Canada, you could get the support you need. Yeah. So one, I know you're located in the States. And one of the things that um, people in the States always ask me uh, when they hear that I had a stem cell transplant is how much did it cost? Um, yeah. And I can tell you that the actual cost for a stem cell transplant is $120,000. Wow. And I didn't pay a dime. I didn't pay for any of it. Well, that's great. Yeah. So in Canada, we definitely do have programs in place. Um, the MS Society helps, like, I was able to go on, like, short-term disability. So I was off for three, two and a half months. So I wasn't making my full salary, but I was still making money. So I didn't have to worry about losing my apartment while going through a stem cell transplant. So it was, it was really nice um, not having to worry about money and all of that stuff or figuring out. I've talked to a lot of people who are like, well, I'm thinking about going to a different country to pay for the stem cell transplant and they have to come up with 50, 60, $70,000. And I'm like, I, I don't know how you come up with that money on top of living. So yeah, yeah, that's living in the stress of all of that. Yeah, I've been very, very lucky. I'm very proud to live in Canada. <laughs> so um what is there anything else you would like to share? Um, well, my newest thing that I just started yeah. is uh I launched a YouTube channel which I'm really excited about, which is all, it's called same, same, but vegan. Uh, so I make like favorite recipes, but make them vegan. So like this week, I think I'm, the videos that I'm posting are homemade pop tarts. Um, and, uh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So I do homemade pop tarts and uh, homemade bagels are my two videos. And like, there's not that many videos I'm still learning. It is something uh, that my boyfriend's like, you should really do it because I'm already doing live cooking demonstrations on my Instagram. So if, yeah, if people go to my Instagram, you can see literally every single vegan recipe I've ever made. Every Tuesday, I do a different taco Tuesday. And trust me, I have enough taco recipes that I don't have to repeat them for like two years. Wow. Um, so like tonight I'm having my butternut squash and beans tacos. Uh, and so every Tuesday I share a taco recipe and like we do all these really fun recipes. So I share that on my Instagram and my boyfriend's like, you might as well just make a YouTube channel for it too. So I'm still learning, but people can check out my YouTube channel. 
And you can also, I shared, if there's anybody who's ever going to be going through a stem cell transplant, I literally shared every single moment of my stem cell transplant on Instagram. So if you scroll back enough, like there's me in hospital, there's me going through the fertility. I shared it all. And I always encourage people to kind of check me out and ask questions because I'm more than happy to share the knowledge and share the love. Why did you decide to share it all? Um, for a couple of reasons. When I first started, when I was first told, so my doctor called me two weeks before Christmas and told me he wanted me to do a stem cell transplant. And I basically told him to F off because <laughs> I, I didn't want to be bald and I didn't want to lose my ability to have children. Um, and the stem cell transplant does do that. Like I no, no longer able to conceive a child naturally. Luckily, <coughs> luckily I was able to freeze my eggs so I can still have kids, but it did take away my fertility. And so luckily he booked my appointment to talk about it like two and a half weeks or two and a half months later. So I had two and a half months to kind of come to terms with the idea. And I decided, uh, basically I had a neurologist years ago tell me that like people are kind of, there's a spectrum and some people want like no medication. And then the middle, there's the people who are like, I want medication, but I want the safest medication that we've known for years. And then on the far end of the spectrum, he's like, there's the high risk, high reward balls to the wall. Go for it. People who are like, give me the newest drug and let's hope it works. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And he told me, he's like, I think you're balls to the wall, high risk, high reward, which is really accurate. And so I took those two and a half months and I thought about it and I said, well, if we can preserve my fertility, then I could still have kids. But then I know that 10 years from now, this stem cell transplant might mean that I have a better quality of life so I can enjoy life with my future hypothetical children. And so I ended up deciding to do the stem cell transplant. And after I told them, yeah, I'll do it. That's when I made the mistake of going through Dr. Google and like basically (coughs) sorry basically I read every single thing that could go wrong and I read like the worst case scenarios oh no I really went through like a tailspin and there wasn't anybody who was really documenting like I couldn't find a lot of positive (laughs) pictures and so for me I think that not every experience is a bad experience it doesn't all have to be 100% good or 100% bad. And so when I started doing the stem cell transplant, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll document every day. And I'll document, like, there's pictures of me, like, pushing my IV pull around the hospital with a big grin on my face. And then there's another picture of me where I'm, like, fetal position in a bed, bawling my eyes out. And I just told my parents, I'm like, take pictures of everything. Let's document it. And I want to show people, like, 100%, this is what you can expect. Like, it doesn't have to be it sucked. It was terrible. Would I volunteer to do it again? Not really. Um, but the outcome was worth it. And so I just wanted to kind of show that. And I also wanted to show, uh, how being healthy, like I was physically fit going into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That made a difference in my recovery saying like, if you want to be physically fit and go into this kind of that way, then this is how you recover faster. And this is how you do it health in a healthier way and like this is how you can get through it like I was still doing squats when I was in the hospital (laughs) I documented as much as I could I went for walks every day I actually asked them like there were days where I was hooked up 24 7 because of the chemotherapy that I was doing 
mm-hmm. and I had to be on fluids the entire time. And then they'd give you drugs to make you pee because you weren't peeing. Like it was just, I was hooked up to an IV every day. And in the morning they'd come in and they'd say, well, we're going to start your chemo. And I would be like, can I, I just need to go for a walk first. So they'd let me go for a 30 minute walk around the hospital. And then they'd hook me up to the chemo because I wasn't allowed to push the chemo around the hospital. But I, I just decided to document it so that people could see the good, the bad, the ugly, and just the benefits of living a healthier lifestyle. So even if I was going through something that was just absolute crap <laughs> that I wouldn't wish on anybody. My healthy lifestyle did kind of get me through it. And so it was just, it was more evidence to prove my point, to have a strong base. And I, I'm sure that I just encouraged so many people. I have talked to a lot of people who are in the process of going through stem cell transplants. And um, they did, I've had a couple of people tell me that it was, uh, it made them, feel better to see how well I was doing post because it's oh uh, I will celebrate my two years this July and I've had no symptoms it's been two years of nothing oh congrats that's amazing wow so where can everyone find you uh, so you can find me, my, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. So my website is all the right bites. Uh, my Instagram is also all the right bites though. I will say my website is all the right bites.ca because I'm Canadian and I'm proud. So I did not do the .com. I did the .ca. Um, so there is all the right bites.ca. Uh, there is my Instagram is all the right bites. My YouTube channel is all the right bites. Same, same, but vegan. And I just started a LinkedIn page where I share my recipes as well. And I interact with other vegan people. Um, But basically, if you just Google all the right bites and Jessica Fald, I will come up. YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, it's all there. I made it simple. That's always good. Make everything simple. Yeah, make it all look simple. And I chose all the right bites because my, my tagline is always healthy eating one bite at a time. Like, I don't think it has to be super complicated it's just like okay well for lunch we're gonna have this healthy meal right we'll have a little treat and then for dinner this is like what we're gonna have healthy and maybe we have a little treat but it's all the right bites slowly kind of build you up and if you if you make the right bites and you choose the right food then you've got a good base exactly one small step at a time one little bite at a time it's just one meal at a time yeah well thank you for coming on and being so vulnerable and everything. I have no problem sharing my story. I love talking to people about it. I think the world would be kind of a more fun place if people got real with each other for once. I know, really? I think especially this age. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) No problem.